As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrow and Lisa Abramowitz. Join us each day for insight from the best in economics, geopolitics, finance, and investment. Subscribe to Bloomberg Surveillance On Demand on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And always on Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. Right now, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see uh, the ballet here. This has been an annual, I say, say a monthly ritual of John Farrow uh, talking uh, with a gentleman from Boston. I think it's because the way the British were treated in the Revolutionary War. I think that's. Why I think John that might have something to do with it. Is a conversation, and the answer is now made even more interesting. The Secretary of Labor will exit, and he will represent the players of his National Hockey League with a. Good jobs report today. The Dow down 180 points. John Farrow was Secretary Walsh. I'm pleased to say that joining us now is the U.S. Labor Secretary, Marty Walsh, and he joins us from Washington. Secretary Walsh, what a morning for it. Just amazing moves in this market that we can discuss. Amazing moves on the West Coast with a financial institution. Secretary Walsh, you get to represent the administration this morning. I just wonder what your thoughts on what have been, what's been developing in the last 24 hours or so. Well, certainly on the jobs front, we had a good day. But as you have been reporting for the last, I've heard you for the last 15 minutes, a uh, lot of concern uh, in different areas. And hopefully we can uh, continue to move forward here. I know Secretary Yellen is up at Capitol Hill today testifying. Uh, there's lots, lots of concerns about, about uh, what the future of the stock market is. I know that. But when it comes to jobs, we have uh, a real good, we have a good jobs report and, and good signs all along. Are you worried that we're starting to see things break as the Federal Reserve tries to address inflation? No, because we've been talking about now, and people have been concerned about it for the last year, really. And when you think about what we're doing here, uh, we're seeing we're seeing jobs being added, we're seeing uh, participation rate going up, uh, we're seeing opportunities for even further participation rate by, by making some investments, uh, and and certainly uh, we're seeing incremental uh, steps in the uh, inflation coming down. So we need to continue to stay focused on that. And secretary, Walsh, sorry, I, I, I froze there for a second because somebody right. behind me is, is talking, so it kind of got my head. Don't worry, it's fine. It's the last interview we get to do together because I know you're heading to the exit too. So I'll give you the time. I'm going to miss you. I'm going to miss you. I'm going to miss you too, Secretary Walsh. I've got to fit a, couple, fit, fit a couple more questions in there if I can. We heard a little bit earlier this week from the chairman of the Federal Reserve. He took a lot of flack, a lot of heat from some Democratic senators, including Senator Warren, who said that maybe he was pushing this too far. It could lead to people losing their jobs. And he said, would working people be better off if we just walk away from our jobs with inflation of 5 6%? Secretary Walsh, how did you feel when you heard that interaction earlier this week? What were you thinking? 
Listen, I, as I said from, the, from day one, my focus here is to get as many people back to work as possible and continue to see wages go up, working with business, so business is successful. That, that's what my focus has been for the last two years here at the Department of Labor. That's been the president's focus, and we're going to continue to continue on that path. I know you're heading to the exit. Your replacement facing a little bit of scrutiny right now. You work closely with her. Secretary Walsh, is it a ringing endorsement from your side? Can you give her some words of support? Absolutely. We've spent the last couple of weeks, uh, Secretary, Secretary, uh, Deputy Secretary Sewell and myself, uh, meeting with business, meeting with the U.S. Chamber, meeting with the Business Roundtable, meeting with, with the independent associations. So we're meeting with all those organizations just to talk about what, what the plan is here at the Department of Labor. We've been, we've been connected at the hip for the last two years. We work very closely together. Business, I think, has a very good feel for me as Secretary of Labor, and they should have this, they'll have the same feel for Julie Sue when Julie Sue gets, gets nominated. Uh, Secretary Walsh, we've got to leave it there. Thank you for your service. Uh, and thank you for these monthly interactions. They've been fun. I've enjoyed them. And hopefully we get to catch up soon in your new role. The former governor of the Federal Reserve System, Randall Krosner, before we spoke about the financial side. Now, Krosner on our monetary system. Randy, in this milieu, can you use theory? Can you use anything that was invented at Yale years ago or at London School of Economics? The theories that matter are they valid and beneficial at this time? Even some of them from University of Chicago, too. Uh, you yeah, know, I think it, it, it gives us a, a, a broad uh, a, a broad framework for thinking through these issues. But exactly as you were discussing, these data are not clear. And as we were talking about with Lisa before, the data have been quite volatile and sometimes difficult to interpret before. And gosh, right. this, this report is not completely consistent. Although I think Mike may have hit on exactly one of the issues in the so-called composition effect. If you're growing a lot of jobs in the lower wage part, like hospitality, but losing them in the higher wage part, like manufacturing, <laughs> that could lead to uh, that number coming down, uh, that uh, average hourly wage. But wages may still be going up because in each of those individual categories, right. wages may be up. So we've got to get more more data on that. So. Just um, Yes. To speak to the Chicago theory, Lisa's been beating me to death with long and variable lags. Does that math work now? Is it useful? Oh, I well, um, you know, Milton Friedman articulated that like 70 years ago, and I think we're still seeing that. Um, we certainly have seen some lags. We've certainly seen some hit in housing market and in certain sectors, but not in all the sectors. And obviously there are, are lags. And uh We'll see when uh, the tightening of monetary policy really hits may not come for a few more months. Randy, we're seeing in markets people back away from the likelihood of a 50 basis point rate hike at the meeting uh, of the Federal Reserve later this month. Do you think that that's valid given the guidance, given the strength of the labor market, given the lack of significant downside revisions to what we saw in January? So we still have a very strong labor market. There's no way around that, um, and especially at this point in you know after the Fed has been uh, hiking for for a full year, those lags may be long and variable. But this is a bit surprising to see so little uh, so little impact. Um, and so I think I don't think the Fed has made their their decision. I think exactly as John said, um, as well as uh, uh, as well as Tom. The, the inflation report is going to be very important because it's really, you know, this is one input, a key input into what inflation is going to be. And that's ultimately what the Fed cares about is bringing inflation down. If we do see inflation starting to come down, they may, some around the table may feel more comfortable to just say, well, let's stick with 25. But if they don't see signs of it coming down, and you just look at this labor market being pretty hot. Um, uh, I think a number of people will want to push for 50. 
It's early days yet in terms of the market reaction, but the knee-jerk reaction seems to emphasize the decline in average hourly earnings and the tick-up in the unemployment rate as why perhaps the Fed wouldn't have to go quite as far as uh, previously believed. Do you think that these are significant things, that these are developments that highlight softening around the edges that will show up later on? Uh, well, as I was saying, that the uh, uh, the reduction in the the average hourly earnings may just have be a composition effect, and uh, so I think it's it's hard to interpret uh, any uh, any one report too in too much detail, um, and uh, and really say ah well the Fed's going to change because of it. I think looking over the last three months, we still see a very strong labor market. I think that's what the, the context in which Jay Powell gave his his testimony. I think the labor market is still pretty strong. It doesn't seem to be strengthening, uh, but uh, you know, if it were, yeah. then I think uh, it would be very clear. It'd have to be fifty. Now, I think it's um, I think it's reasonable that the market say it's an even bet. But I think a lot right. will be determined by the inflation number on Tuesday. Professor Krosner, thank you so much for joining us today from Madrid. Obviously, Randy Krosner with the Fed and also the for, uh, with the University of Chicago Booth School as well. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. We now turn to bond market reaction. He's aged overnight. Jeffrey Rosenberg joins us now, portfolio manager of Systematic Multi-Strategy Fund at BlackRock. Jeff, open question. What's the multi-strategy right now? The multi-strategy is uh, defensive here, Tom. I mean, you know, there's a lot of focus on 25 versus 50, but I think the real message of the week was that Powell re-emphasized financial conditions need to stay tight for transmission of monetary policy to work. And and the the thing that we lost sight of here is is how is monetary policy monetary policy supposed to actually bring down inflation? It functions mainly through financial conditions tightening. And when you look at where we were at the end of January, financial conditions were basically back to where they were before the tightening even began, effectively unwinding all of the tightening in policy. So the pushback here is coming from the data. And, you know, we can parse today's payroll report. I would emphasize the earlier conversation. AHE is the worst measure of real time or, or, or near term measures of uh, wage growth because of the compositional effects. But beyond the noise of the data, the issue is right. that financial conditions aren't tightening enough. And Powell pushed back this week. And that means that 
It raises the prospects that they have to do more. That's the 50-25 debate, but it's really the terminal debate that is is right. important here and that, and that they're much more willing to push uh, the risk up of a recession. Hey, Jeff Rosenberg, you're going to take in the various narratives and you're going to filter them through a Carnegie Mellon education, which is hugely probabilistically determined. Fine. Can you state that we are in a disinflationary trend now? What is the probability that the vector coming off of this report and coming off Tuesday will signal disinflation? Well, you know, I think what we had is finally the realization of peak inflation. And remember, that was the, the big debate for a while was, you know, the expectation that we'd hit peak inflation, inflation would come down, and it just kept getting disappointed. Uh, last November, we hit the peak inflation and everybody got very excited by three in a row, three months of, in a row of very good inflation numbers that showed a decline, but decline to what level, right? The Fed is talking about a, a getting back to the pre-COVID 2% and nothing in the data that we're seeing in terms of the persistent measures of inflation, which is really that, that core services, ex-housing services, which is really about labor and markets and wage inflation, nothing is really said that the Fed's tightening to date has done the work that's necessary to bring that back to 2% target uh, to, to have that uh, be accomplished. Jeff, you were talking about the financial market conditions and how that's really important for the transmission of, of, uh, of Fed policy. I'm looking now at the terminal rate being priced in, a 5.3%, down from 5.6% earlier wow. this week. Do you think that this is an accurate wow. response to the report that we just got? Well, I think the I think the market is is being whipsawed a lot around positioning and technicals around 25 versus 50. So you have to be careful about over interpreting kind of the longer run fundamental interpretation from today's news. And as as John was saying earlier, you know, come Tuesday with a hot CPI report, all of this is going to get sort of thrown out and 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 reinterpreted. I think the broader message of the raising of the terminal rate is the right response to what Powell said earlier this week, that we need to do more. And that's really the broader message of the failure of the core measures, the labor market measures, the core ex housing, ex-services measures of inflation to really respond to what is a, a very significant amount of tightening to date. So it's higher for longer uh, and you got to price out that expectation that the Fed's going to turn around very quickly and be able to cut interest rates as well. My head's spinning, Jeff. I've got to be honest. Everyone said something slightly different. Everybody has a different base expectation of what the Fed's parameters are to hike rates. It's like the People have, dining room table. I mean, yes, actually, that's <clears throat> completely accurate. I'm looking at this. Is there any certainty in your investment thesis that you have continued to drive home that you continue to have conviction in, Jeff? Well, you're going to hate this answer. Uh, the only certainty, <laughs> the only certainty is the is the uncertainty. Oh dear uh, Lord! He learned no. that from Alan Meltzer. That's Alan Meltzer 101. Come on, continue. I knew you weren't going to like that one, but but it's it you know it's really it's about recognizing that that there is uh, a, a a lack of ability of forecasting and inflation. That's really the issue here. Is that the market consensus is pretty confident, in, or was pretty confident uh, in a in a uh, steady return to 2%. And, and the history of, of the accuracy of forecasting inflation here just doesn't bear out that degree of confidence. And so it's really about recognizing what we know and what we don't know relative to the what's priced into the market. And yeah. there, you certainly saw a lot of skew 
to the downside, and that that downside has been playing out, you know, over right. the course of February, the first part of March here. Jeff Rosenberg, always thank you. He is with uh, BlackRock. Let's not waste any time here. Joining us right now is Mr. Mayo, Senior Equity Analyst at Wells Fargo, iconic on the street back to days long ago with Credit Suisse. Mike, I've got eight ways to go here, but I want to just simply say, is this morning the opportunity for the major banks to get competitive ground? Do the major banks benefit by all this turmoil because financial America will find comfort with big banks? Well, the unintended consequences of everything that's taken place since the global financial crisis is it's increased the moats around the largest banks. So the regulation, the reduction of mergers, the too big to fail, all of that simply has reinforced the resiliency of the largest banks and resiliency of the balance sheets. Uh, credit risk is much less. The resiliency of the business models, the, the scalability that you've gotten from technology and yes, the resiliency of the funding, uh, even though deposits are declining some, um, we think the deposits are quite sticky at the, the, the largest banks and they have all sorts of ways to, to fund themselves. So, you know, the, the issues out there that you see it in the stock price declines for the largest banks are, are, are way overdone. Um, the Fed stress test is conducted each year. And this year, it's I see it as the combination of the last three recessions combined. And until banks can pass that test, they're not allowed to return capital. Um, the issue of the moment is banks do have some unrealized securities losses. You know, that's already reflected uh, in their financials. And even if you assume they never sell these securities, uh, deposits are still about 20% higher relative to loans than they've been historically. So you know, since the global financial crisis, you know, capital is up 50 to 100%. Liquidity is up about 50 percent. The credit profiles are vastly improved. Subprime loans are 80 percent less than where they were before. And and yeah. Tom, as you know, I was fortunate to be the first analyst to testify on the causes of the global financial crisis to the Congressional Committee. And, you know, as you know, I got fired uh, part of that time when I was negative. That worked and out. Is, I, <laughs> well, it, it worked out in the end, not in the moment. But uh, this is almost like the opposite of the global financial crisis when there were not fears um, and then things were about to crumble. And now the fears are really, uh, you know, way out there when the banks are more resilient than they've been, you know, in a generation. So, Mike, we can talk about the resiliency. I think we also need to discuss the profit headwinds as well. Net interest margins, how much they'll have to pay for that deposit base at the largest lenders. In just a moment, Mike, before we get there, I want to pick up on something you said. You said the moats around the biggest banks are huge. What about the smallest banks, Mike? How vulnerable are they? Have we seen and can you comment on the lack of regulatory scrutiny that they've received over the last 10 years? Well, the entire industry uh, has had additional regulation and oversight. And so those industry statistics that I quote include both the, the small and the large banks. Now, you can always have idiosyncratic uh, events. Uh, and that's going to happen. I mean, and I think one warning here is the risk outside the banking industry. So you have issues with crypto and that can have a ricochet effect. You have an issue with VC firms uh, not fundraising as much, needing to draw down their funds. That can have a ricochet effect. But really, I think what's not been seen yet, and I think you could see more, are 
bigger problems outside the banking industry as so much risk has been pushed outside of banks uh, into non-banks. Which banks, which of the biggest banks are most exposed to a devaluation in some of the assets most exposed to those areas? And I'm thinking of private credit. I'm thinking of less liquid loans. I'm thinking of some of these industries that are uh, seeing some serious distress. Well, the truth is, and this goes back to the Fed stress test, every year the Fed is recalibrating the most risky areas. So the penalty for Goldman Sachs having uh, private equity investments has gone up and up and up the last few years. So you're, you're, you have big capital uh, be, behind a lot of those types of investments. So the entire industry has become much more resilient. So you have four categories of loans. One is um, consumer uh, secured, the residential mortgages. You had that crisis in, in uh, 07, 08, and that's not happening now. Loan uh, to to values are, are great. You have unsecured uh, consumer and credit cards, and credit cards are an area to watch. You're seeing issues on the low end, auto loans, low end uh, consumer. And then you have on the wholesale side, secured, that would be commercial real estate. That is an area to watch, especially offices. Um, so we're, we're watching that. And then you have the unsecured wholesale or commercial loans, and you have leveraged loans, and that's also an area to watch. Having said all that, um, you know, this is really more of an, an an earnings issue, not a liquidity issue, not a solvency issue. We've taken our estimates down on some of the banks due to higher funding costs. And if anything, so far, uh, credit quality has performed stronger for longer than I or, or many have expected. And that's still likely to be to be good in a, in a good economy. We started out by talking about how, in some ways, episodes like this consolidate control, consolidate market share among the biggest banks. Which among the big banks will emerge as the winner from all of this, especially because that really determined the winners and the losers of the last crisis? Well, you, you have seen a theme of Goliath is winning when it comes to capital markets. And it's really amazing uh, the impact of regulation. I mean, the, the likes of Goldman Sachs uh, and J.P. Morgan uh, consolidating uh, wholesale market share. And on the retail side, uh, you've seen the likes of Bank of America um, really uh, you know, lead the way with, with retail banking, gathering share. Uh, J.P. Morgan has also gathered share. So um, when the, these rules come out saying, okay, banks don't merge anymore, I mean, it's like the the Jamie Dimon Protection Act. Uh, it just increases the moats around uh, that business, and I think that's one of the unintended consequences of regulation, and and you know probably should be reconsidered. Mike, I've got to squeeze this in just quickly. It's just on the challenges that Keycorp mentioned earlier this week. Is that not a profit headwind for some of the big names you just went through? Oh, sure. Look, funding is going up. And, I, and last time I was on the show, I know Lisa asked me, when are we getting paid more for our deposits? Well, you're getting paid more for your deposits now. And so, look, the additional uh, funding uh, costs for the banks, look, this could wind up taking 5 to 10% out of our earnings estimates. On the other hand, the recession discount is about a 30% um, you know, factor. So if you give up 10% of earnings, but get that 30% valuation back, then that, you know, I come back a year from now and you say, wow, the banks actually performed well after all. Mike, appreciate the hard work as always. And thanks for getting up early for us this morning. Mike Mayer there of Wells Fargo. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority. 
by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Our team has worked overnight to bring you the best of Global Wall Street on banking, and we begin strong this morning with Gerard Cassidy, head of U.S. Bank Equity Strategy at RBC Capital Markets. He counted banks on Thursday in the savings and loan crisis of who would go out of business over the weekend. You know, Gerard, I mentioned the SNL crisis of the 1980s earlier. This is not this. What is this? If it's idiosyncratic, how do you describe it? Tom, thank you for having me on. And you're so right. This is not what we saw in the SNL crisis at all. As you remember, Tom, back in those days, it was a credit crisis. This is not an issue with credit at all for Silicon Valley or for any of the banks. But you're bringing up a very good point. What has happened here is the deposits. Everybody is very concerned about deposit outflows. As you guys know, during the pandemic, because of quantitative easing, the Fed pumped in over $3 trillion of deposits into the banking system, and now they're starting to leave. These wholesale deposits or surge deposits, as they're often referred to, are the deposits that are likely to leave. But again, the system has too many deposits, if you can believe that. But the core issue here is we need to focus on core deposits. These are the small denominated deposits. I like to call them grandma and grandpa deposits. Those are very sticky and those are very difficult to to grow because it takes years to gather those deposits. The banks with high concentrations of those deposits, Bank America is a good example, Fifth Third, Regions Bank, those deposits are sticky and there's not going to be any real concerns about those deposits. Gerard, is this a moment to acquire shares in quality banking? Can you use the opportunity of the last couple days in crypto and in Silicon Valley to go strong with small banks that you're noted for, or dare I say, even the money center banks? Tom, absolutely. And the reason being is that we understand how fearful it is and the uncertainty out there, no doubt about it. But when you come to core banking businesses, that the regional banks do, the community banks do, and the money centers. It's a very strong, stable business. There's no real systemic risk here. And when the stocks sell off like they did yesterday, it is a buying opportunity for the long-term investor. Also, the traders, of course, can get involved, the hedge funds and so forth. But we don't see this as a systemic crisis, nothing compared to 08, 09, or 1990, or the SNL crisis, Tom. Jared, just because it's not a systemic issue for some of these big names, and a lot of people listening will agree with you does not necessarily mean it's a buying opportunity. And Jared, you know where I'm going to go with this because you and I have already gone back and forth on it. There is clearly a profit headwind 
emerging for these big banks. I understand that they don't have the diversification issues, a very concentrated deposit base at a bank like SVP. I think we all understand the unique nature of what's developing in the last 24 hours. But Jared, there is going to be a competition for deposits. And I think what we're all trying to understand are what are the profit headwinds that are emerging here? What are we seeing signs of? Particularly with, was it Keycorp earlier this week, talking about deposit betas and the risk around that, Jared? Can you frame that for us and what it means for the profits, the bottom line of these banks? John, very, you put your thumb right on it. Uh, we held our 27th annual financial conference this week in which Key, to your point, lowered the guidance on their net interest revenue growth because of higher deposit betas. So what's happening is consumers are moving into more higher rate uh, deposits, which is squeezing the margins as we go forward. We expect net interest margin for the industry to probably peak in the first quarter or second quarter of this year. So there will be that pressure or headwind on the margin. But we have to remember, banks can still expand their balance sheets through loan growth, depending on how the economic outlook is. So net interest, in growth, net interest income growth, which last year was spectacular, we still see for most banks anywhere from 8 to 10 percent top line growth in net interest income, even with a margin coming down because of earning asset growth. And that will help them. We still think this year that bank, the banks as a group will be one of the few groups that put up EPS year-over-year growth uh, as we see 23 uh, today. Jared, I'd want to build on that, this idea of growing their loan books at a time where we potentially could be facing some serious headwinds. And also, a lot of companies aren't going to want to borrow at the rates that a lot of these banks are going to offer. I mean, how fruitful are they going to find the lending market? How risky are the assets they're going to have to uh, uh, lock themselves into in order to capture that higher rate? It's a really good question. Now, in our forecast for 2023, we do expect loan growth to slow. History has shown the industry's loan growth will grow with nominal GDP. So if you expect inflation this year to average, let's call it 3 to 4 percent, we have 0 percent um, real GDP growth or maybe slightly negative, uh, you're looking at about 3 to 4 percent loan growth this year. So we would say 3 to 5 percent is not an unreasonable estimate at this time. And we've seen that in other slowdowns where loan growth continues. But you're right, the loans have to be underwritten very carefully because the real risk to bank profitability, even though I know this margin pressure is something to discuss, the real risk has always been credit quality. Credit quality today is quite good. So right now, if we don't have some sort of severe economic downturn, credit should hang in there this year. It will uh, be higher costs for credit, but nothing like what we saw in past downturns. We're talking about the biggest, best capitalized banks. And really the issue right now is in the smaller regional banks with more concentrated portfolios of depositors, of creditors. Bill Ackman, overnight of Pershing Square came out and said that the failure of SVB could destroy an important longer-term uh, driver of the economy because of the VC uh, component of the economy and recommends that if private capital can't provide a solution, a highly dilutive uh, government-preferred bailout should be considered. Thoughts, Gerard? I think that's premature. When you look at Silicon Valley, though it's important to the Silicon Valley area, obviously the country and private equity, they're not the only players there, of course. And as you know, our biggest banks are involved in lending into the private equity business. So single-handedly, Silicon Valley, it's important to that part of the business, but it's not the only bank that has act, uh, that have PE customers, private equity customers, or venture capital. So I think it's a little premature to be uh, 
seeing that at this time. Joe, when Bramo says thoughts, Gerard, it means that she has thoughts, but she's yeah, really trying yeah. hard to bite her tongue yeah. and not say Come what on. she really thinks. I was about really what short, to say. I was wondering what he wanted. That was special. You know? Thanks, that was special. Can you give us a brief answer, please? <laughs> I'm going to butcher something Jeremy Irons said in Margin Call all those years ago. Speak to me like I'm a golden retriever. So, Jared, if you can, <laughs> this is a bit of a a bit of a blank spot for me. It's just regulation, and I'd love your thoughts on it because I know you follow this stuff really closely. Can you talk to me about the degree of regulatory scrutiny some of these smaller banks have received over the last decade compared to, say, some of the large banks and the problems that might emerge for the smaller cap banks? John, the regulators have done a very good job in changing the system compared to where we were pre-financial crisis, as you know, and you just touched on. The largest banks go through a stress test every year, and the bank's banking system has been fortified very strongly since the financial crisis. Now, even the smaller banks, uh, they too go through a very rigorous regulatory process. And so I would say that the regulatory picture and the capital levels are quite strong for these banks. And that's the critical part. When you look back to the pre-financial crisis uh, days, the level of capital in the banking system back then was materially lower than it is today. Same thing with liquidity. All the banks have to measure their liquidity. There's a liquidity coverage ratio that it's called, where you have to measure the amount of deposit outflow over the next 30 days. And in that ratio, you've got to carry liquid assets to handle that. So the liquidity in capital is quite strong. Now, granted, we all know uncertainty creates fear. That's what we saw yesterday. As you guys said in the pre-market opening, we're seeing it again. But as cooler minds prevail, I think things will stabilize and people will realize that this is not a 0809 or even a 1990 moment. If you're listening to this on radio, it means you can't see the view that Gerard Cassidy has out of his living room right now, which is just sick. absolutely depressing. So it's don't sick. tune in on TV. He lives. He lives. I mean, what, what is that? He Come lives on. so large in Maine. The lobster shack down the road is eighty dollars for a lobster roll. We're doing it all wrong. That's how large. We're doing it, is. it all wrong. I say I this all the time. I just feel like we're just doing it all wrong. Gerard <laughs> Cassidy of RBC Capital Markets. Gerard, thank you, sir. Subscribe to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Listen live every weekday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, TuneIn, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can watch us live on Bloomberg Television and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.